It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we've got breaking news. Greg Williams, defensive coordinator of the Jets, no more. He has been relieved of his duties. Frank Bush, who was the inside linebackers coach and has a really interesting history in the league, is going to take over for Greg Williams for the remaining four games. So to talk about that and everything else going on around the team, we've got Chris Ryan from NJ.com. Chris, busy day for you, buddy. To say the least, Scott, um, I'm kind of the wife in the NFL on a Monday after a game, especially when something like that happens on Sunday. Yeah, no question about it. And as I said on the post-game report with Andy Vasquez yesterday, I've never quite seen anything like that. It was such a bizarre call that only Greg Williams would have called it. And as I mentioned yesterday, we've seen him do similar things in the past. Last year against the Steelers at the end of the half, Bless Austin was left on an island, and it resulted in a Pittsburgh touchdown. But this apparently was unforgivable, and so Greg Williams gets the axe with four games left. I want to ask you about the presser and also what you know about what went down behind the scenes to make this happen because it sounds like Gase was in the driver's seat but he had the organization on board in terms of being able to pull the trigger here he spoke about it a couple of other people spoke about it take me through all of this so basically uh, after the game uh, Gase was um, emotional upset um, as pretty much everyone in that Jets locker room was um, just with the way they, they lost to the having a win taken away from them in uh, really an inconceivable way and uh, Gase took it upon himself. I mean, it is his coaching staff. It's his decision. Um, and he wanted to give it the night to think it over. And when he woke up this morning, um, he, he, he decided a change needed to be made. So uh, he spoke with Joe Douglas, spoke with Christopher Johnson. Uh, they were both on board with the move and uh, ultimately decided that it was time for a change at defensive coordinator and uh, met with Greg Williams, talked to him for about an hour. Um, Williams was obviously upset with the news um, as anyone would be getting uh, fired from a job um, and uh, the Jets moved on from there. His replacement is Frank Bush who was Gase's assistant head coach in Miami but also has a long history in the league former defensive coordinator in Houston so natural choice here he was the Jets inside linebackers coach what do you know about Frank Bush? Well, he's a long time uh, NFL assistant coach. Um, I, I think behind Joe Bitt, he's the longest uh, tenured NFL coach in some capacity in terms of being an assistant. Um, he doesn't have a ton of uh, defensive coordinator experience, still only a couple of years with the Houston Texans back in 2009 and 2010. But um, he's been around for a long time. He knows the game, he knows defenses. And um, just with the options on the Jeff staff, he, he made the most sense in terms of someone who could step in right away and kind of man the helm for four games until they figure out what's going on beyond this season. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. 
Let's talk about what was said at the presser beyond just Gase. A couple of other guys talked. I know Foley Fadakasi spoke about Greg Williams, and we saw Quinn Williams even on Twitter with the emoji of the guy hitting himself in the head. Apparently, he wasn't a big fan of this move. What did everybody else have to say here, not just about Greg Williams, but above and beyond that at the presser? Yeah, Foley still was kind of in surprise mode. I don't think he expected anything like this to happen today, and um, it's still, he was still kind of processing the information and what it meant for him. And, you know, he, it's tough. I mean, you mentioned him, you mentioned what Quinn, how Quinn reacted. These are guys that have kind of made names for themselves on the Jets defensively, even though, you know, hasn't been a great year for the team, but those are two guys that have played pretty well under Greg Williams. And now he's out the door and he, he's a big reason for why they turned into valuable NFL players and can be part of this team going forward. Um, so they're, they're still processing it. They'll see how the week of practice goes uh, under Bush and how they can, you know, make, make adjustments and play a little bit better down the stretch. Um, Sam Darnold also talked, and, you know, as an offensive guy, he doesn't have a ton of interaction with Greg Williams and the defense on a daily basis. So um, he kind of kept it cordial and, you know, um, said it was a, a surprise, but, you know, just the way that the profession is. Chris, I wanted to get your opinion on this too as somebody who has covered the team all year. I know it's a little different because you haven't been in the locker room, but what is your sense in terms of how this is going to impact not just the defense but the team in general? The defense even more so though because he worked with them day in, day out. These are guys that were under his tutelage for the better part of the last two years. Do you think this is going to be something that further fractures the locker room? Do you think Williams is popular with those guys mostly? Or do you think that this is something that'll be addition by subtraction? You know that Marcus May came out and strongly criticized Williams after the game. But as I said, Quinn and Williams seemed upset that Greg Williams is gone. What's your sense on this? Uh, it, it's kind of a funny way to look at it. I mean, I mean Williams's reputation as an NFL coach um, throughout his career is that he, he's brash, he's outspoken, he's loud, and um, the kind of the perception with that is that it, that kind of stance can wear on players after a while when you're getting screamed at it day in day out. And after that initial kind of boost of get, having that support behind you, um, it, you kind of tune out that noise. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can respond in any way. I, I just think at this point of the season. Um, whether Williams was there or um, now that Frank Bush is taking over, I, I don't think it's going to make a major difference in what you see on Sunday, especially with four games left. Maybe you get a little bit of a boost this weekend trying to play for a new coach and um, do it for him, but I, I don't think it's going to make a big impact one way or another just based on where the Jets are. Was it weird to you that Williams took the bullet here and that Adam Gase is still here and it looks like he's probably going to be here for the rest of the season? Do you think that sent the right message to the players? Because obviously if there are players in the locker room who are fed up with what's going on with the team in general, you're going to look at the head coach and then when you see the defensive coordinator get fired, you wonder to yourself, we're 0-12, it's almost like he's just trying to scapegoat Greg Williams what are your thoughts on that, and do you think that there are some players that may have that thought? Uh, it's certainly a, a justifiable point um, because, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, this is Case's team, and what they do and don't do falls on his shoulders. And um, the, the biggest thing with this move compared to the Jets firing Gase and his staff um, would be that this was Gase's decision. I mean, coaching personnel under him uh, falls to him, and if he felt it was time for a change and the owner and Joe Douglas supported him, uh, they were going to let him do it. But ultimately, Gase's future will be determined by Christopher Johnson. And at this point, um, there's not really a, a big point of making a change 
in season end, he'll determine what the Jets are going to do after the year. It, it's hard to imagine that um, Johnson will kind of keep things status quo. And, you know, I, you have to imagine that he'll look for a new coach once uh, the offseason gets here. And Greg Williams' son, Blake, is going with him, right? Uh, at, at this point, it, it doesn't look like it. Gay said um, Greg was the only coaching change today and no other moves would be made at this time. So, I, I mean, I can't imagine that even if somehow Gay stayed and um, uh, was here for another year that Greg Williams' son would stay. So I, I think it's just a matter of time for him, but um, kind of just a formality at this point for them to play out the final four games. As you said, just a matter of time for Adam Gase at this point. And you could say that what Greg Williams did yesterday and what Adam Gase has done all year long has been a version of coaching negligence. And when negligence leads to losses on the football field, that's bad. But when negligence leads to injuries, that's way worse because that can lead to a life-changing event. And when that happens, you want a strong legal team fighting for you to make sure you receive full compensation for your injuries. You want to be able to call your legal team whenever you want. You don't want your file to be on a shelf with hundreds of others, and you don't want your lawyers to be afraid to go to court. Here's what you do want. The legal team at Faruqi and Faruqi, they give every client their personal cell phone number to call 24-7. They limit the number of clients they represent at one time so they can give everybody personal attention, and they have a long track record of taking on insurance companies, corporations, and the government in court but most of all, long track record of winning. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Learn more about them at nylegalteam.com. That's nylegalteam.com. So Chris, as we said, Adam Gase, the clock is ticking on him. It's only a matter of time. But when he does get let go at the end of the season, the question becomes, who will the next Jets head coach be? And we've heard a ton of names. You've heard about a lot of these coordinators, Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, Brian Dable in Buffalo, Greg Roman in Baltimore, also Wink Martindale in Baltimore, Arthur Smith in Tennessee. You talk about possible replacements with head coaching experience. Doug Peterson's somebody that could be in the mix. If he gets fired in Philadelphia, you go to the college ranks. Maybe the Jets take a look at Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern for what Nick Spano of U Stadium said on the show. Sounds like they're very interested there. Matt Campbell of Iowa State, Todd Monken, who was the runner-up for the job the last time around. He's the offensive coordinator at Georgia right now. He was a successful head coach at Southern Miss a couple of years ago. But a wild card name has been entered into the mix, and I wanted to talk to you about this. Today on his show, Boomer and Geo, which is the morning show on WFAN here in New York, Boomer Esiason and his partner, Greg Giannotti, were talking about who could take the Jets job, and Giannotti mentioned that Bill Cowher would be perfect, but that he would never take the job. At that point, Boomer Esiason said, what do you mean he'd never take the job? And then expounded by saying this, all I know is that yesterday, he, Cowher, was showing me and Nate Burleson film of him coaching on the sideline where he was mic'd up and we looked at each other like hmm what does that mean is he sending us a message I've worked with him for 14 years and I've never seen that then Esiason continued by saying that even though Cower is 63 years old he's a really fit 63 year old and he said that Cower was telling him yesterday that the Jets job is going to be very attractive they should be able to hire whoever they want and he mentioned the fact that he loves Joe Douglas also apparently Bill Cowher's wife is a huge Jets fan to the point where when she talks about the Jets, she refers to them as we. Esiason finished by saying, I asked a couple of people at CBS yesterday when I was talking to Adam Shine and Kyle Long, and I asked the guys who were Jets fans, 
all of them were. And when I asked them what they'd think about Bill Cowher being the Jets head coach, they all went wild. So, Chris, let's discuss this. And first of all, let me say that my friend John Grella, who was director of communications for the Tampa Bay Bucks for three years, and I like to say all the time, he's our secret decoder ring into this world. He takes us behind the scenes and tells us what's really going on. As they say in wrestling, he's seen every swerve and counter swerve in the business. He is convinced that what this really is, is twofold. Bill Cower doing the Johnsons a favor on behalf of his friend Boomer Esiason because Boomer Esiason is friends with Jets ownership. And if Cower hints that he might be interested, that makes the Jets job very attractive to other potential candidates. Also, on the other end, this could be Boomer Esiason doing his friend Bill Cower a favor by throwing this out there and trying to squeeze CBS out of some extra money to keep Cower if there's a thought that he may jump back into the coaching ranks. So that's where... I think this is probably headed. However, if Bill Cowher were to be serious about coming back, Chris, you and I can sit here and go through the list of candidates, but there's absolutely zero debate about the fact that none of the people that we would list are going to have a resume that's anywhere near as accomplished as Bill Cowher. Remember, Bill Cowher was a 15-year head coach in the NFL he had a 623 winning percentage, 12 and 9 in the postseason. And on top of that, he's got two Super Bowl appearances, one championship, multiple division titles, two time coach of the year. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This guy is an icon of coaching. We all know that. And he's only been a coach one place in Pittsburgh. So this would be interesting. On the downside, though, you're talking about a guy who's been away. For 15 years, and even though Boomer Esiason said he's very fit for a 63-year-old who will be 64 by the time next season starts, Mm -hmm. to think about a guy who is that age, who's been out of the game that long, that's definitely a major risk because we know that A, the game has changed a lot since Cowher was head coach, and B, we know what a grind it is to be an NFL head coach. That's something that takes 16-hour-a-day commitment during the regular season, and even during the off-season a lot of times, we're talking about 16 hours a day. It's one thing if you're Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll and you're that age, but you've been in the continuous loop of doing this. If you've been out of it for 15 years with a comfortable schedule, it's not going to be very easy to jump back in. And people will talk about John Gruden, but Chris, remember, John Gruden, A, is significantly younger than Cowher. He's only 57. And B, everybody knows that he's a maniac. So even when he was at ESPN, he was constantly breaking down film. He was constantly putting in 16-hour days. It doesn't seem like that's what Cowher's been doing. So on the one hand, it would be incredibly exciting because you'd have a Hall of Fame head coach, somebody who could probably attract all kinds of incredible talent to his coaching staff. He's got so much respect around the league. And you would think, at least on paper, he could change the culture instantly. But on the other hand, again, you're talking about a guy where you don't know if the game's passed him by, and you absolutely don't know if he's ready for that grind. Heck, even if he's convinced he's ready for that grind, he may be wrong. He may get back into it and say, what was I thinking? I can't handle this. So a lot to unpack here, Chris, but what are your thoughts? What do you think here? Do you think this is genuine? Do you think this is just a story that Boomer Esiason and Bill Cower and the Johnsons are all putting out there to work some angles? If it is legitimate, do you think that Cower should be number one on their list if he's available? So much to talk about here. What do you think? I think this is a little bit um, too much too much to believe at this point, mm-hmm. uh, just based on how long Cower has been out of the game and um, I mean, 
if he wanted to come back to the NFL at any point, he would have had his fair choice of jobs over the past 14 years. And he could have landed in plenty of other situations where he might've been ready to win a Super Bowl within a year or two, but he declined not to. I mean, he clearly was happy outside coaching and it's hard to believe that he, he'd be willing to jump back in at this point, unless you see his name tied directly to interviews at any point um, in January or February, whenever uh, the tires are made in the off season. Um, I don't think there's anything worth putting stock into at this point. Definitely seems like a lot of smoke, but probably not fire. We'll find out. I will say this, though, regardless of whether or not you think it would be a good idea, and I'm not convinced it would be if he's legitimately interested, you would have to give him an interview and gauge that interest because somebody with his resume, there's no way you could just flat out say, listen, you're going to be 64. You've been out of the game 15 years. Forget about it. You look at somebody like Joe Gibbs, who was out of the game for that long, and he came back and gave the Redskins one of their best four-year periods that they've had since Gibbs left. Left in the first place and was able to assemble, as I said before with Cower, a superstar coaching staff because so many people wanted to work with the legendary Joe Gibbs. That could very well be the case with Cower if he were to come back. He'd probably have his choice of assistant coaches just because of the connections he has around the league and how much respect everybody has for him. But like you said, Chris, way too early for this. And as John Grella pointed out, the fact that this was brought out publicly by Boomer Esiason tells you something because generally, if he was legitimately interested, this is something where Cower would have back-channeled, maybe had his reps dip their toe in the water, ask a little bit about it, say that his client might be interested behind the scenes. But to do this publicly, as I said, it seems like the Jets are trying to boost the stock of the head coaching job and Cower is trying to get himself a few extra bucks from CBS. But if it does end up in a situation where Bill Cower jumps into this and is one of the candidates for this job, it's going to turn a lot of heads. And Chris, you'll have plenty to write about. <laughs> no doubt about that. I mean, I mean, I, I think I'd be hard pressed to find a coaching candidate who's been hired with better credentials than Bill Cower over the past 20, 25 years. I mean, I mean, they don't come along every day and there, there's certain reason, certainly reason to be excited if that were to happen and Coward wanted to get back into NFL coaching. But um, at this point, it's just wait and see if he's actually serious about potentially making a comeback. Absolutely. But as we know, the Jets haven't hired a coach with Bill Cowher's resume since Bill Parcells. And of course, Bill Parcells not only got the Jets to the AFC championship game in 1998, but he set them on the path for the most sustained period of success that they had had in quite a while. So if Cowher's available, certainly worth looking into. But as of right now, it's just something to keep your eye on in the background because like Chris said, I'm not going to believe it until I see his name on a formal list of candidates that are interviewing for the job. Chris Ryan of NJ.com, thanks so much for coming on and talking about this breaking news with me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to having you on every week the rest of the year to talk about the midweek news. This week, we got lucky. A ton of news. Not so lucky for Greg Williams, but pretty lucky for you over at NJ.com and for me on the podcast because it gave us something really juicy to talk about. I know you've got plenty up about this at NJ.com and a bunch of other stuff too. What do you got cooking? Uh, yeah, today, obviously, a ton of focus on Greg Williams and the staff move. Um, uh, in the last few days, we've had a mock draft go up, um, again, looking at what the Jets could do with the first pick and obviously the entire first round around the NFL. Um, and just a, a lot of going to be a lot more Sam Darnold talk over the last next few weeks to see um, what his future holds and 
just kind of what the Jets future holds as a whole. So um, we're trying to get you geared up for the off season because it's going to be an important one. So um, just stick with us and we'll, we'll see what holds for the Jets uh, once 2021 gets here. Make sure that you're reading Chris over at NJ.com. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it helps us out a great deal. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.